The other day, I was, uh, I was trying to find something in a storage closet in our home which has no light fixture in it. I knew that the item I was searching for was there, and I kept fumbling for it. My hands kept landing on uh, one thing after another, but not on the thing that I knew was there, but I couldn't see. And the thought occurred to me that maybe I should go get a flashlight. But then I said to myself, no, I'll find it in a second. I know it's here. But a second went by and more seconds and I still couldn't find it. And finally, I took uh, the time to get, go get my iPhone and turn on the flashlight. And uh, when I did that, I'm shown it into the closet. There was the item right in plain view. <laughs> If you had a light on, it was right in plain view. People are doing the same thing over much more important issues than missing an item in a closet. They're searching for happiness, stumbling through multiple jobs and a series of relationships, and never grasping happiness. They're in pursuit of satisfaction and even peace but they can't find it. Some even recognize that they're on a quest actually for God, but they don't find him. In the text that we're going to study this morning, Jesus spoke to people who looked like they were seeking God and seeking him in all of the right places. He had been teaching in the temple and had run into resistance from the religious leaders. Jesus, it appears, does not exactly fit into other people's boxes. Usually, he had been speaking to the crowds, but in our text for this morning, he's found in conversation only with the leaders, the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were known as the holiest group of all the Israelites. They followed all the rules, and just to make sure... They made additional rules and they kept them. They knew the Bible better than everybody else. They were leaders. Their opinions had power. They were the examples of religious devotion. They were strict with themselves and strict with other people and all in an attempt to seek closeness to God, or so it appeared. Jesus stood in the temple with them face to face and he said to them, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now the Pharisees might have been self-righteous, but they certainly were not stupid. They knew, and Jesus knew, and Jesus knew that they knew that they were not following him. And yet he said to them, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that means that Jesus was saying to them that they were in darkness and they didn't have the life that comes from light. It's one thing to be in darkness and know it. It is another thing to be in darkness and think that you can see. When you're searching for something in your closet, you know that you cannot see. The tragedy of the human condition 
is that when we are searching for God or for the happiness and satisfaction and peace that only he can give, we do not even realize that we are in the dark. Now instead of initially reading the passage for this morning, we're going to do something different. We're going to watch it. I want you to watch a short portion of a film in which this actual conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees was portrayed. I want you to watch it carefully. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in darkness. Now you are testifying on your own behalf. What you say proves nothing! No. Even though I do testify on my own behalf, what I say is true. Because I know where I came from and where I'm going. You do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You make judgments in a purely human way. I pass judgment on no one. But if I were to do so, my judgment would be true. Because I'm not alone in this. The Father who sent me is with me. It is written in your law that when two witnesses agree, what they say is true. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me also testifies on my behalf. Where is your Father? You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus said all this as he taught in the temple, in the room where the offering boxes were placed, and no one arrested him because his hour had not come. I will go away, you will look for me, but you will die in your sins. You cannot go where I am going. He says that we cannot go where he is going. Does this mean that he will kill himself? You belong to this world here below, but I come from above. You are from this world, but I am not from this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. And you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am who I am. Who are you? That's John chapter 8 verses 12 to, 12 to the beginning of verse 25. And in, that's the passage on which we're going to base our thoughts this morning. It's on page 894 if you want to turn there in one of our Bibles. There in John 8, verse 19, I want to draw your attention to that verse. It said, they said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. What was happening in that verse? They ask where Jesus' father is, and he answers that if they could see they would know the answer to that question. God incarnate, God in the flesh, was standing right in front of them, and they asked him where God was. Do you see the tragedy of being in the dark? They are looking at God and asking, where is God? But here... Jesus' response is hard. It's, uh, 
He was not gentle with them. Look at verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Why the hardness? Why the absence of any touchy-feely, good, warm feelings? As I wrestled with this passage of scripture, my mind went to other places where people looked like they were searching, they looked like they were seeking, and yet they were met with a less than warm reception by God. And I looked at three examples. Uh, they came to mind, and when I, when I studied them, I benefited from them, and I want to share them with you, and then come back to John 8, because actually these other examples lead us right back to where, where we're starting. And I want you to see that there are three, three kinds of seekers, at least, in, at least in these passages, three kinds of seekers. And turn with me to Acts chapter 24, if you would. Acts 24, beginning at verse 24. And there we find a man named Felix. Felix was a man of authority. You may remember, you'll remember this story if you were with us when we were studying the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul's been been uh, imprisoned and he, he keeps being given uh, opportunities to defend himself in front of various authorities. So now he's in front of Felix and in verse 24 we pick up the story. Now watch Felix. He's an example of a certain kind of seeking after God. It says, after some days Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Now this is very interesting. So you have a man who actually asks to have discussions, and because he has the power, he can make it happen. He, he has discussions with the Apostle Paul over and over and over again. Two years of listening to the Apostle Paul and yet there was no decision on his part to come any closer to Christ. When I look at, when I look at Felix, I see him as an example of someone who is intellectually seeking. They're curious, yet, yet um, they're never going to go beyond just thinking about it. But there's also another problem with Festus, and you probably picked that up. It's in verse 26. 
At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. This may seem a little ridiculous. You know, why would this guy who has way more financial wherewithal than Paul, why is he expecting to get money? Well, he probably figures that Paul's supporters and uh, they had some resources. And so he's looking for a bribe. He's looking for, for some money. So here he is, intellectually seeking. He keeps calling for Paul to keep discussing these things he's discussing, but he's so he's curious yet greedy. Intellectually seeking, curious yet greedy. He keeps listening, but he has ulterior motives at the same time. And I just want to ask the question, is this you? Is this you? Seeking with your mind, curious, but never deciding. Never, never deciding to actually do something with what you've heard. Satisfied that you've understood, but you're actually motivated by other needs and other desires. Some people, you know, they come to church with different motives. They're in church all the time, listening, curious, but they're actually there for other reasons than the truth that's being discussed. Is that you? If it is, do you realize that you're in the darkness? You're in the dark. Perhaps you don't know it. Now there's another guy. Mark chapter 10. Look at Mark chapter 10, verse 17. It's on page 846. At various times, he's been called the rich young ruler or the rich young man. He comes, he comes to Jesus. So it's Mark 10, verse 17. Let me read this passage to you. And as he was setting out on his journey... A man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. So here's this rich young man who seems religious and he's certainly, he's certainly seeking. He comes to Jesus and said, How can I have eternal life? So he's seeking, but here I see him. You know what he is? He's comfortably seeking. He's comfortably seeking. He's seeking as long as 
the Lord doesn't change anything, he's okay with Jesus. He's coming to Jesus with, with his life the way it is, and he wants eternal life. As long as having eternal life doesn't change anything, he's all right. But Jesus says, no, it's going to change everything. He could look right in his heart and see, I see what you need. Your, 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 your love for, for your money is greater than your love for anything else. You've got to get that out of the way and love me above anything else. He was comfortably seeking. And the sad part about this story is that he was needy and he knew it. There was something in him that he felt the need to go and to know, do I have eternal life? He was needy, but he was unwilling. Felix was intellectually seeking, curious, yet greedy. The rich young man was comfortably seeking, needy yet unwilling. Is this you? Is this you? Where you're, 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 you're here, you're looking for the Lord, as long as he doesn't change anything. Is that you? And if it is, you're in the darkness. And then the third example that came to my mind as I was, as I was studying this was, is in the Old Testament. It's in Isaiah 29, verse 13. I'll, it's a short verse, so I'll just read it to you. It's the Israelites in the day, uh, days of Hezekiah and, and um, the prophet Isaiah was being used of God to correct some things that were going on in their lives. And verse 13 says this. says, And the Lord said... Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is, an, is a commandment taught by man. And then he goes on to pronounce that I'm going to bring judgment on them. I'm going to bring judgment on them. But, but let me say it again. He says, because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts, you see, their hearts are far from me. These are the people that are externally seeking. Externally seeking. They're dutiful, yet heartless. They're doing their duty. They're in the temple. They're doing the sacrifices. They're going through all of the ceremonies. They're doing, they're following all the rules, but their heart's not in it at all. Jesus picks up this very passage, and this is how this brings us back to Jesus and the Pharisees in the temple. He picks up this very passage. It's, it's uh, Matthew that talks about it in Matthew 15, verse 9, and he quotes this verse, and, he, and, he, and he, he changes, though, a little bit the way that last part of the verse is written, and it says, um, you know, they, they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So what they've done is, here's the Pharisees again, they've, they've worked up their own set of rules and then they, they teach that as if it's equal to what God said. And so here they are following all their rules, many of which are man-made. They didn't come from God, they came from themselves. And they're, they're looking religious, they're in the right place, they're in the temple, they're in church, they're doing all the right things, but their heart's not in it at all. Albert Barnes said this verse, speaking of Isaiah 29.13, is designed to denounce the divine judgment on their formality of worship. 
They kept up the forms of religion, but they withheld the affections of their hearts from God. And so it was with the Pharisees. There's no sense of need. There's no desperation. There's no warmth of love in their heart for God. And so I have to ask again, is this you? Maybe you're here, and you're here maybe every Sunday. You're here because somebody else wants you to be here. Right? Maybe it's your spouse that really wants to be here and wants you to be here. And so you're here because they want you to be. Or maybe it's your parents. They drag you here every Sunday. You're here, but where's your heart? You listen, you participate, but your heart's not in it. And what Jesus was saying to the Pharisees applies to, to you or to me, if that's the case in my, in my life. I'm in darkness, you see. There's darkness there. They're all in darkness. The darkness of pride. To listen without letting curiosity lead you to humility. Humbling yourself before God. The darkness of greed. Investigating the teaching of scripture only so long as you hope to get material gain by it. The further darkness of greed. Allowing your love of money to quench your inner sense that all is not well between you and God. The darkness of formality, being close to religion, attending and hearing, but never with a heart broken or a heart aflame with love. They're in the darkness. And to the extent that this describes you, you are in the darkness. Now, Let's watch our passage again. And I, and I just want to ask, could you hear well? You could hear it? Okay. We're going to watch it again, and I want you to note the, where the conversation goes. Where does it end up? Because the place where the Lord Jesus expertly allowed the conversation to end is, the play, is where the path out of the darkness and into the light begins. So let's watch it again. Yeah. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees again. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will have the light of life and will never walk in darkness. Now you are testifying on your own behalf. What you say proves nothing. No. Even though I do testify on my own behalf, what I say is true. Because I know where I came from and where I'm going. You do not know where I came from or where I'm going. You make judgments in a purely human way. I pass judgment on no one. But if I were to do so, my judgment would be true. Because I'm not alone in this. The Father who sent me is with me. It is written in your law that when two witnesses agree, what they say is true. I testify on my own behalf, and the Father who sent me also testifies on my behalf. Where is your Father? You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. Jesus said all this as he taught in the temple, in the room where the offering boxes were placed, and no one arrested him because his hour had not come. I will go away, you will look for me, 
but you will die in your sins. You cannot go where I am going. He says that we cannot go where he is going. Does this mean that he will kill himself? You belong to this world here below, but I come from above. You are from this world, but I am not from this world. That is why I told you that you will die in your sins. And you will die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am who I am. Who are you? Who are you? That is what the ones in darkness need to ask. And they need to be willing to hear when the answer is given. Who are you? Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So much hinges on our understanding of who Jesus is. And that is why, that's one reason why we celebrate Christmas. For the baby in the manger is no mere human child. He is God in the flesh, human and divine. Uh, if he is not that, then our sins are not dealt with. We're left to ourselves to fix the problem between us and God. But if he is that, if he is the God-man, then he fixes the problem and we're delivered from our sin. And we begin to experience what Jesus called the light of life. I love that, the light of life. There's, there's life. So the happiness and the satisfaction and the peace that we really long for and search for in all the wrong places, it begins to shine into our life when we look at Jesus and say, you are who you say you are. Let's allow the, the two statements of Jesus that bookend uh, this passage to stay in our minds and in our hearts today. Jesus said in the beginning of this passage, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And he ends by saying, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. You notice there's two, two words there in terms of how we're supposed to respond to this Jesus. He uses the word believe, unless you believe that I am he, and he uses the word follow. He uses the word follow. Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness. Whoever believes that I am he. You see, you need to acknowledge, every one of us need to look at him and acknowledge that he is who he says he is. He is God in the flesh. Amen? And then, since he is that, since you recognize that he is God in the flesh, then you follow, which means you surrender. You surrender to him. I've said over and over again that the, the word believe, the way it's used in the, in the Bible, uh, in, in our today's English, you, you have to recognize that there's an element of trust. The word trust is a good synonym for the word believe. Uh, it's not just believe in the sense of I just have ideas that I acknowledge are true. But what do I do with it? I trust. I believe Jesus Christ. So there's an element of trust and of submission in, in saving faith. And so he's saying, you believe that I am he, then you follow. 
Amen? And it makes perfect sense. If I see him as who he is, then I, I surrender to him and I trust him. He said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. See, it's, it's the, dealing with the sin issue is the beginning of the light coming into our lives. It's the beginning of us getting out of darkness and into light. So that, that little baby that we celebrate being born grew up and that, that Christ then goes to the cross and on the cross he pays the penalty for our sin. He takes care of the sin so that he died for our sins so that we don't have to die in our sin. Amen? Amen. And so we, we look to him, we believe, and we follow. This counts for all of us. You know, the posture of the heart of believing and acknowledging who he is and then surrendering and trusting, that's the way we enter into the light, but that's the way we're supposed to walk in the light. Amen? That, that posture doesn't go away. But we have a tendency to drift back into the darkness. And I would say for all of, all of us in this room that we've already entered into the light, but perhaps we've, we've, we've begun to not submit in one area or another in our life. Make this the day that we surrender again. Amen? Make this the day that you look at Christ and you say, you say, I believe and I follow. I'm not going to be like those who are just curious about all this. I'm going to do something with it. I'm not going to worry about you changing my life. I'm not going to just look like I'm seeking you as long as you don't change my life. Change my life, Lord. However you want it to be, I follow you. And I'm not going to be the one that's just empty formality. I'm here, but my heart's not in it. No, no. My heart's in it. My heart's with you, Lord. Let's pray. Well, Father, we, we thank you and praise you for who you are and praise you for the Lord Jesus, the light of the world. And we ask, O oh Father, that you would lead us, those who, of us who need it, out of darkness and into light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.